This is Heather, and you're listening to Let's Go There. Guys, I am so excited about today's interview. I cannot wait for you to meet Brianna. I've known her since she was in middle school, and I'm just amazed at how I've seen her grow and how I've seen her rely on her faith as she's gone through infertility, failed IVFs, and a lot of other issues as her and her husband have been trying to start their family. She's still in the middle of this struggle, and it's hard. So if you think this topic might be a trigger for you, please, please be kind to yourself and choose a good time to listen to this episode. You ready? Let's go there. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, if you want to take a second, just tell everybody who you are, your name, what you do, that sort of thing. My name is Brianna Spain. I am an IVF nurse and an IVF patient. I am married. I've been married for four years and I have lots of four-legged animals. I mean, four-legged kids. Not four-legged animals. <laughs> well, they are animals and kids. It's okay. Yeah. So tell me about when y'all started trying to get pregnant and how that journey went. So we tried on our own probably for like about six months uh, before I reached out, which is a little sooner than most would. Um, but my sister had infertility and endometriosis and all of that. Um, so I went to my doctor a little early and I went to my OBGYN and we did some oral medication. And then um, he saw like a cyst on my ovary. So he took me to surgery. He, he was like, I don't think you have endometriosis, but we'll just look. And then I ended up having stage four. So the worst wow. uh, stage of endometriosis. Explain a little bit of what endometriosis is. It is where the endometrium, which is your uterine lining, grows outside of your uterus. Hmm. It can go to your ovaries. It can like connect to your bowel. It can connect to your bladder. Um, my sister's like spider webbed her uterus to her back. So she has lots of back pain. And it takes like on average seven years to get the diagnosis of endometriosis um, because all of the symptoms you like look to other things. So like, even though I knew my sister had it, I didn't think that was it until I started trying. So I went to like GI doctors for abdominal pain, um, had all kinds of like tests and procedures um, gallbladder scans, all kinds of things for years and years. And, um, finally got diagnosed with endometriosis. Most people don't know that they, um, have endometriosis until they start trying. Gotcha. When you found out that you had endometriosis, what was y'all's plan after that? You can only get diagnosed with endometriosis during surgery. So people might tell you they have endometriosis, but if they haven't had surgery, then they don't know. Cause that's the only way to diagnose it currently. Mm -hmm. Um, so when he went in, he wasn't, my doctor wasn't fully like prepared for all that he would find. So he didn't have all the instruments that he needed. So he got out what he could. Um, he had told my husband that like he would come get him in like 30 minutes, that it'd be a quick surgery. And it was like two and a half hours later that oh my got goodness. him. Um, yeah. And he also like found out that my tube had fluid all in it, um, which is a hydrosalpinx. So my infertility story is like really long, so it all gets jumbled, <laughs> but that was October of 2019. And then October of 2020, I had another surgery for my endometriosis where they were more prepared. And that's when they removed my tube. Um, because essentially if you have fluid in your tube, then it can also like back up into the uterus and wash out any baby from implanting. Right. Um, 
So they have to get rid of that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You went in, you had surgery. They got out what they could. Did y'all, did y'all have a waiting period before y'all could start trying again? Or was that pretty quick? It was pretty quick. So like my first surgery, October, 2019, I had that surgery. And then after that, uh, we did two rounds of medicine with, um, IUI. Mm-hmm. which is just where they take and clean the sperm and put it in the very top of the uterus. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of helps your chances. Right. Gets uh, a little more. Yes. So we did two rounds of that and two rounds of medicine um, after my surgery in December and January. And then after those two failed is when we decided to move on to IVF. So then our first round of IVF was the first week of June. And then our second round was in August. And then our third round was this year in April. Wow. That is a lot. Yes. How hard was it to keep trying? Like what kept you going? Well, the first two rounds, I would say felt the same. Like we went through the motions of it and did it. And the second round was easy because we thought maybe it was just like a fluke. Mm -hmm. Like the first round, we were like, oh, I'm young. I'm 25. That was probably just a coincidence where it will try it again. So after not getting any embryos the first round of IVF and then turning around and not getting any again, we were like, okay, well, this is like actually not working. In between the second and third rounds of IVF, I had the surgery and I had my tube removed and I had to do um, a medicine that put me into menopause. So during that, I bet that was rough. (laughs) It was um, terrible. I gained probably... 60 pounds and had hot flashes all day every day that's Uh, right yeah not fun but I had no endometriosis pain so Hmm. kind of a trade-off right um so pretty much I guess the main part of my story of like how did I keep going so in July of last year, um, my friend Kelsey's sister Tara I had heard that she'd been discipling people from her church and I was like so hopeless that I was like, I want to do that because I've been in church like my whole life, but I don't really feel like I've ever been like discipled. Mm -hmm. Um, Tara started discipling me and then her sister Kelsey in July of last year. And um, Tara's husband started discipling my husband and Kelsey's Mm -hmm. husband. And so I remember when we started, I would just like cry every time and just like, I can't, like, I don't know how I can do this yet. It's awful. And so probably in the last like year, it's the most consistently that I've read my Bible and been consistent with Bible study. And it's only from the accountability of our D group that we've had. A lot of it was a bunch of what Tara calls spiritual spankings that she would give me during our D group. (laughs) And I never really thought of like anxiety as a sin, but it is. Mm -hmm. And I would just try to focus, you know, on like, none of this is a surprise to God. My favorite verse, like during all of infertility um, has been Job 42, two. And that just says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. So that verse, I just like would say over and over again to myself, if I get overwhelmed, because I'm just like, you know, none of this is a surprise to God. This is all going exactly how we had planned. Right. And our current journey we had to move on to donor eggs, which is a huge like 360. It's like something that you'd never even 
really hear of and you don't think you'll do it. You know, a lot of people are like, how can you just like be so okay with that? But it's like, you know, God knew that we would have to do this and he provided insurance for it. Um, It's about $20,000 out of pocket. And my husband did not even change jobs. His unit at work just got bought out and then we got the insurance coverage. That is amazing. Um, Yeah. So I like jokingly say that like I wasn't even brave enough to pray for that because I thought it was impossible because in Alabama, there's like no fertility coverage. Um, So to get uh, fertility coverage for our last round of IVF and then to have donor egg coverage is like unheard of. Wow. Um, God is good for sure. Yes. Very (laughs) mind-blowing. So I know a little bit about your backstory and I know I've seen you've been very vocal about your whole journey on social media and that sort of thing. And one of the things that you've said in some of your videos and posts is that you had like a low egg reserve. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's real common or is that something that, I mean, I I feel like a lot of people don't know that that's even a thing. Yeah. So a lot of people, I wouldn't say it's common and really having low egg reserve wasn't my hugest like setback because- Some people with their egg retrievals only get like, you know, like two or three eggs. Mm -hmm. And I always got like eight or greater, but my egg quality was really poor for my endometriosis. Uh Um, People that have lower reserves than me actually could still have like better success because their eggs. Right. And you don't know quality until you do IVF. There's no like test. You can test the quantity with Mm -hmm. the AMH. AMH is anti-malarian hormone. So they test that and that gives you an idea of ovarian reserve. Um, But there's no test for quality. They only, you know, can test that whenever they're watching them in the lab. There's like all kinds of supplements and everything that you can take for egg quality. And between that first and second round, I didn't change anything really. Mm -hmm. Um, I started taking a few supplements, but since we kind of thought it was a fluke, and just turned around and went again. We didn't really, you know, think anything of it. But between the second and third round, I made like the most changes I'd ever made, like when it comes to my egg quality, like tons of supplements, uh-huh. had the surgery, did the uh, menopause medicine, all of that sp- stuff is supposed to help like get rid of the endo and help the egg quality. Mm-hmm. And then the third round, which was like my like close of chapter round. I was like, this is it. Like I'm not doing this again. We didn't even have a single egg fertilized. So it was our worst round. And I did, I did like everything. You did did. everything medically and physically right, but still it just didn't work out. Even worse results. But I was kind of thankful because the five days of waiting to see how many embryos we got every time was like so hard and you get so much hope built up. And then day five, they call and say like, oh, sorry, they stopped growing. And Honestly, I just was so thankful that none of them even fertilized because it was better hearing that the next day than having to wait five having days. Having to wait it out. Yeah, that would be hard. Yeah. So something that I want to go back to is you talked about through this process, you started being discipled and you really found connection with community in, in faith and you know, just personal connection. And I think that's something that a lot of people, regardless of what they're going through right now, whether it's, you know, infertility or just life in general, I think that that community with other people is really important. So just touch on that and how that's made such a a difference in your life and your outlook on everything. It's honestly like not been the easiest, even though I'm really outgoing um, and I can be vulnerable like on social media in some ways, but I still like to like keep my walls up. I'm an Enneagram type three. I don't know if 
anyone listening knows their Enneagram type, but I like to just like appear like I always have it together. And so, you know, having people that you're being discipled with and by and talking to them every single week and checking in with them every few days and like being really held accountable, it's really hard to like fake it. It's really hard to just pretend you're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that like being disciples has like helped break my walls down. I never liked showing like weakness really, I guess you could say. Not for like struggling with infertility, not the actual struggling with the infertility part, but just like doubting God and, Mm -hmm. you know, being mad at God for letting this all happen to me and things like that. Like those are hard things to admit to other people. And I, Um, I really think that a lot of people probably do feel that way. I mean, because it would be easy because, you know, when something you feel like everybody has kids, why can't I have kids? You know, like, why would God do that? Like, I think that's something that a lot of people think about and struggle with, especially during times of infertility or struggling with getting pregnant or staying pregnant or through miscarriage. Yeah, I think that it was like just such a trigger for me and like go to is because, you know, my dad died when I was seven. Mm -hmm. And so my whole life, I feel like I've always looked at people and thought like, all these people have both their parents and I don't have that. And I've always been jealous of other people that had, you know, both parents and like a full family. And then I grow up and I'm like, all I want is to have my own family because I didn't have that growing up and I still don't get it. And I'm just like, you know, they jokingly say like, God gives the hardest fights to the toughest people. And I'm just like, I don't want to be tough no more. I just want just give it to me. Um, and that's when Tara would give me like spiritual spankings. And, you know, she would always tell me, you know, we don't deserve anything though. Like in reality, like we really don't. And so it would just kind of like, you know, bring me back to reality. And I would have to ask myself if this never happens for me, if I never have any children, will that still be enough? Even if just telling people about it and, you know, talking about, you know, my story and how I trusted God through all of it, will that be enough to, you know, just to help others? And I really don't know. Like, I still can't really say. Um, I just, like, I love kids so much. I've babysat since I was probably, like, 11. (laughs) And I am known as, like, the baby hog everywhere I go. And I just love kids so much. Um, And I can't imagine a life where I'm not a mom. But, you know, that's what God decides. And that's what He decides. But it's already happening in ways I didn't expect it to happen, which is, like, been eye-opening because you have all these plans and it doesn't go that way. So... Right. Right. And even though you're still in the middle of it, where have you seen God throughout this whole process? Do you see the good coming out of it already? Or is it still just too dark to tell? I think that last July when I met with Tara for the first time and asked her if she would disciple me. And I was like in that like low pit that I was like, there's never going to be anything good come out of this, Um, which is like hard for me because even this year on Halloween, it's 20 years ago that my dad died. And like, I still don't understand why. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if I ever will. Like, I already feel like a lot of good has come out of um, sharing my infertility journey. I've had some negative feedback for sharing by just a few people. Most people are very supportive. I definitely feel like I have seen like God through the process. Like I said, like I've been in my Bible more and gotten closer to God than I've ever been ever in all my 27 years. And um, like I've memorized more scripture. And 
with me being an Enneagram top three, like if I want something, I just do it. Like if I want a job, I'm going to get that job. And (laughs) if I, you know, if I want to make this a grade, like I will make it and I just like make it happen. I might kill myself trying to do it. But infertility has just kind of made me step back and realize there's some things in life that like we, we literally can't control. Like it really killed me for a long time because I'm such an overachiever and I want to be the best at everything. And so like not being able to control this was like devastating, but it's just really showed me like who is in control. And if I just let go, you know, everything gets a lot easier. And my husband jokes that, you know, we've been through so much hard stuff and he (laughs) just jokes. I had to go get my day pierced for my headaches Mm -hmm. and I had to go in a tattoo parlor and I don't have any tattoos. I want to get one IVF related, but, um, he was like, before I'd be scared to like send you in there by yourself because it was during COVID and he couldn't come in. And he was uh-huh. like, but you're tough now, so you can handle it. <laughs> and, um, but it is funny because I feel like when we were trying on our own before we ever did a single treatment, that was harder for me in the moment than like IVF and all of this. I almost just wish I could like look back and just, for example, I had to renew my driver's license and I had to get a new picture. And I've gained like so much weight through IVF. And I was like comparing the old picture and the new picture. That's never good. No, it's not. And um, I was like, man, like that girl over there was so skinny. Like what happened to her? And I'm like, but I'm really, you know, I am the same person, but I've grown so much. And I just like look at the picture of like little skinny me. And I'm just like, bless her heart. Like she's coming. Oh goodness. What has been the hardest part? of dealing with all of this? Has it been just the treatment itself or like, I mean, I know there's, you know, the emotional onslaught of everything. Yeah. I tell people all the time, if IVF was 100% free, it costs no money and you just got to do it. It would still be like the hardest thing I've ever done. If it was physically, you didn't have to do anything. Like if I didn't have to do three shots a day and all these surgeries and all these painful procedures and all of these things, it would still be the hardest thing I've ever done because the mental emotional side of it is just so hard that even if it weren't for all the other hard stuff, it would still be like the hardest thing I've done like ever. It is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, which is weird to say because I lost a parent, but I was so young. Right. Um, So it's just different. But probably the hardest part of this is all of my friends around me having babies. And Uh, some even some even having multiple babies since we've started trying. That's probably the hardest part. Just feeling like left behind because I love to like, which sounds awful, but I love to fit in and I love having friends and I love being on the in circle and right. you just feel left behind. Nah, and you I know, remember how that feels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my friends include me and they all love me and I love their babies, but you know, you can't help but feel left out when everybody right. around you has that. And you know, people tell me all the time, they're like, you'll always be that way because think about it when you're single, all you see are people who are married. And right. if you're married and you can't have a baby, all you see are people that do. And once you do, you're like looking at people who don't and you're like, wow, you look so rested. And so it's just like, <laughs> I know you're always going to be wishing for something else. So I spent probably the first year of our infertility just being miserable, I feel like, just so miserable. And I just kind of had to realize, what if this lasts my whole life and I never have a a baby? Mm -hmm. Do I want to look back and think, wow, I wasted 10 years of my life just in mourning when I could have kept living, you know, because you're always going to want something in life. So I think that's where changing my mindset in the last year, like 
helped me crawl out of that pit that I had gone in because it's really hard to not just like feel sorry for yourself whenever you're in the midst of all the treatment and all of that and doing weird stuff like taking your shots into a public bathroom and (laughs) things like that. Um, Oh gosh. I feel like that's a very hard place to get to where you wrestle with that and kind of comes to term with the fact that you can't let that define you and you can't let that ruin your life. Basically. I would say another hard thing though, too, is not having anyone that you can relate to. Um, because like for me, the most important person in my life is my mom. Mm-hmm. she got pregnant twice. She literally like got off birth control and immediately got pregnant both times, never had a loss, anything. My sister had trouble having my niece, but she only took oral medication. She never did IVF or anything. And then I have two best friends that got pregnant very easily. Well, a lot of my friends have gotten pregnant very easily. It's hard when they don't understand. Um, yeah. And my friends have been great about it and they don't try to understand because that's kind of I would say for any tips, if you have friends that go are going through infertility, they don't want you to like try to like reason with them and understand because you can't. And it's right. almost more offensive for you to act like you can. Um, you and really like don't know. You really don't know until you've actually gone through it. Right. And like being an IVF nurse, whenever I have patients who don't end up with embryos, which they always happen to be my patient. <laughs> and oh, no. um, when I have to call them, it's so hard for me and so devastating because I know how it feels. And then I tell a coworker of mine who has had miscarriages, several, whenever I scan people and like there's no heartbeat, I can't relate. And like, I don't know what that feels like. And I don't know what to say. So I think that's something for if you have a friend going through infertility, like don't pretend or try to like, understand what they're going through because you can't unless you've done it all people want you to say is this sucks and I'll just be with you in the suck um, yeah I have a close friend that has a, had a miscarriage and we she'll talk to me about that and I'll talk to her about infertility but like I don't know how that feels I hope I never have to know how that feels but like a lot of people with infertility they have losses and mm-hmm. for me it's the opposite I've never had a single positive pregnancy test ever not right. one time. So it's just different. Um, it is. Yeah. And I think, I think that's something interesting about your particular story, especially with you being an IVF nurse and then you being around people that are struggling through that same thing. And I, I bet you that that brings a certain compassion out in you. And I'm sure it's heartbreaking. Like every single time you have to go into somebody, you know, and tell them bad news, but I feel like that would probably make you like the best nurse for that job though, you know? My coworkers are great. Anybody at my office is super sympathetic to the patients, but yeah, it's just different when you're like in it. And honestly, I started my job last August. So I've been there a year. And during my interview, I had two uh, interviews and they were both like an hour and a half long. Oh my God. They asked me so many things. And I felt like I had to tell them that I did IVF because I didn't want them to like, find out later. I don't know. I just thought that would be weird. So I was like very upfront and they loved the idea of it because they were like, you know, you're going to already know so much stuff that someone off the street wouldn't know, you know, the medications, you know, the dosing, you know, how this process works. So all of that was a big plus, but um, our nurse practitioner was interviewing me during one part and just said like, you know, this never works for you. Like you've had two failed rounds. Are you going to be okay working here? Yeah. But that's Yeah. And like, you know, I had a pretty answer like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. But like, I really wasn't sure, but I just told her, you know, there's going to be people here 
that, you know, come and are patients and it may never work for them. And at least if it never works for me, I can relate to those people. And I've already been able to do that for mm-hmm. people who have multiple failed rounds. And I've never seen anyone as young as me have to do donor ever. Um, I'm sure there's people out there, but most of our people who have to do donor are like in their 40s. Mm-hmm. And it's still like devastating. So I know it's hard at any age, um, but I do think that it's helpful for them you know, I don't always tell people that I do IVF, but if I think it'll help them, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for patients that are like in their forties and they're devastated, I just, you know, tell them, I know it is really hard. Don't beat yourself up about your age. Cause like I'm 27, like you just never yeah, know who's going to yeah. have to do it. So it's definitely helpful having a job where I can really relate to the people because my job before this was mother baby at the hospital, which I loved. That's probably still my favorite job that I've had. And that's probably why I want to have a baby so bad because I saw so many births and I took care of so many mamas and I helped so many moms breastfeed. And it's like, I want to experience all of that because I have changed thousands of mesh paintings by this time in my life. So we touched on this a little bit earlier about how you've been so outspoken through this whole process. Do you think that is important for people to talk about it and kind of bring awareness to all of the struggles of infertility and IVF? I do. I don't think that it's for everyone. Not everyone is as outgoing as I am, which is fine. Um, I know people that have gone through it and haven't told a soul. I just like am not ashamed to buy it. Even with our donor egg process, you know, I've had someone tell me like, well, you don't have to tell anybody that you use donor eggs, you know, and it's just like, but I'm not ashamed of it. And like, I'm thankful for the donor because she like gave us a chance at this. And I mean, I do think that it's very helpful to talk about because it's just such a foreign thing. I can't even tell you how many people I've had after posting about it on social media that have messaged me and said, I haven't told a single other person Mm -hmm. that like we're going through this. But since you opened up about it, I felt like I could reach out to you and it just feels good to tell someone. So I feel like I've been able to make people realize like you can talk about this. You know, it's not a bad thing. You're not a bad person. Like you didn't do anything wrong. So yeah, like I said, I've gotten some kickback from people thinking that I've like overshared or things like that, but I don't regret sharing anything. Um, I've even had someone tell me that in five years, they think that I'll look back and regret sharing everything with the whole Facebook world. But Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that I will look back and be proud of myself because it wasn't easy. For sure, yeah. Um, It's not easy. And a lot of people do feel that shame around it. And there's no real reason for that other than it's just kind of a taboo subject and that people don't talk about it so that when it happens to somebody, they're like, oh, I'm the only one. Something must be wrong with just me, but it's really not the case. And it's a lot more common than people think. Right, yeah, no, it definitely is. And just like with endometriosis, that's something that goes so unnoticed. And I hope that by talking about it, maybe that can help someone get diagnosed sooner because it's such a like bad disease that I came off birth control like 22 or 23. And just in a few short years of not being suppressed from the birth control, it completely ruined my eggs. And so, you know, if a younger girl can hear this story and they're like, oh, I have pain like that. And Mm. I've been to all these doctors and they can't find anything, then maybe they can get a diagnosis sooner and save them from the heartache of their eggs getting ruined. I just think there's purpose in our pain. And if we don't talk about it, then it's like I just suffered in silence for no reason reason. because I helped no one else. There's a verse and it's like, basically God allows stuff to happen so that you can comfort other people, you know, when they go through the same thing. And I think that's, that's something that I clung on to after going through mine, because, you know, I've, I've shared with people and I've told them my story and I've cried with them as they've lost their own through miscarriage. And I think that that is part of the good that comes out of it is just sharing and 
helping people know that they're not alone in it and that there's no shame in it. I kind of think it's funny. I was on another podcast last year during like hardcore lockdown of COVID. Mm-hmm. And that whole interview was just, I, I hadn't done a single IVF cycle yet. And it was just like, so like, I didn't even really know what to talk about because right. it was just so unknown to me. Um, and it's just funny, like looking back, how like more anxious and terrified I was then. And I've been through so much, so many failed cycles, so many surgeries and all of that. And I can look back and just be like, well, I did it. So more confident, I guess, after going through that many hard things. And our donor egg embryo transfer is on Tuesday. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) it's in five days. So I started progesterone today for our, so we fly out on Monday. Bless you. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, you know, if, if it doesn't work, we, we have lots of embryos, we have nine embryos, so we'll have embryos still to choose from. And I'm like, I've gotten bad news before. It's more devastating to think you have to start all over again with like no eggs. Right. Yeah. You know, than having banked embryos to just try again. Yes. It's a brand new thing. I've never gotten to a transfer before. So. Wow. Well, that's exciting. And we'll definitely be praying for you and hoping for the best. And as we close out, I've just got a few more questions. What is something that you've learned about God through this process that you didn't know before? I feel like. I guess he will like take you to places you never expected to teach you things. I thought IVF was like his big teaching moment. And now like three field cycles later and donor eggs and all this stuff. I'm just like, you know, if you're going to be hard headed, he's like, we'll just take this one step further. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I just feel like, you know, he'll go to like great depths to, you know, save you. And I think that I've learned too, like, especially through being discipled and with infertility that God is good. And you question it a lot, but it's like, we don't deserve anything. It's ironic because all I want is a child. And it's like, you know, God gave his son up for us. And so it just makes things easier to deal with knowing that I'm a sinner. I'm not naturally good and I don't deserve anything good. And, you know, anything that God does give us while we're here on earth is a blessing and just, you know, out of his grace. And it's like nothing that we deserved. It's easy to fall into the self-pity of, I don't deserve this infertility and it's, I don't deserve anything. So that just like makes it easier. All this other good stuff that I have, like my great husband and my house and my fur babies and all of this stuff, I don't deserve any of that either. And I have it. For sure. What would you say to someone who's walking through what you're going through or what you've gone through in the past year or two? I would probably say just expect the unexpected. Like you just don't know what could happen, but something good can come of it, even though it's hard to see at first because, you know, I said, I'm not out of the trenches of it yet and I already see the good from it. So, you know, I guess just keep on keeping on because you'll be okay either way. It's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And if you feel comfortable, um, would you pray for the women who are going through infertility or who are still waiting on a baby? God, I thank you for Heather and this podcast and the women that she's trying to reach, God. And for anybody that's listening that is going through infertility and are in these trenches, God, I just pray that you would give them peace, that you would remind them that they have good things in their life and to just shift their focus from expecting and deserve, you know, thinking they deserve a baby to just remembering that, you know, we don't deserve anything and that your son is a gift and that everything you give us is a gift, God. And that if you do decide to bless us with children, God, that we'll be very grateful for that. But even if you don't, um, you're still good and you're still sovereign. I just pray for patience 
for anyone that's trying or in the two week wait, especially that's a whole special type of torture. And I just pray that you would just give them a joy that only you can give. Amen. And I just want to take a second to tell you how proud of you that I am. I've known you for what a long time since like middle school, maybe. And I I'm so proud of how you have grown through all this and how you've been very outspoken and how you've trusted God, because I know it's hard, Mm -hmm. but I'm proud of you and I love you. Thank you. Love you. See you later. Bye. I am so grateful that Brianna was willing to share her story with us today. I know that there are a lot of you out there who are still in the middle of your struggle with infertility, IVF, miscarriage, or countless other problems that can happen when you're trying to start a family. I know that it's hard. There's no way to sugarcoat that fact, but I hope that hearing other people's stories who are struggling with the same thing brings comfort and hope. You are not alone. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, and it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is what this podcast is all about, sharing these women's stories in the hope that someone going through the same thing will feel connected and find comfort. There's something about that common struggle that makes you feel seen. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you that you were the only one. Like I've said before, Satan wants you isolated. He wants you to think that you're the only one so he can feed you whatever lie he wants to you. Don't give him that power. You have a choice. You can sit by yourself and listen to the lies that the enemy feeds you, or you can listen to the truth. The truth is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his own son so that we could be with him and he could be with us. God is our comforter, giver of life and sustainer, and he is more than capable of handling our problems and worries and struggles. And if you can imagine, he actually wants to. You are definitely not alone. So if you're still in the trenches of your battle with infertility, this is for you. You are seen. You are loved. I know it's hard when all that you want is that little baby in your arms, but in the meantime, find rest in the arms of your heavenly father. He is there and ready to comfort your broken heart. And find your people who will help carry your burden and who will hold you up when you no longer have the strength to do it yourself. God did not create us to do a life on our own, and whether in good times or bad, we all need people who will point us to God and, like Brianna said, maybe even give us some spiritual spankings. I hope that you will take all of this in and let it soak into your hearts and minds and let your soul seek truth instead of filling up on lies. You are loved. You're loved. I can't say it enough. You are loved. Thank you for listening to Let's Go There. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show so you can receive all the latest episodes. And I would love to hear from you. You can comment or leave a review to tell me how this show has helped or encouraged you. Your reviews help other listeners find this podcast too. Have a great rest of your day. 